0: here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin.
1: Hello everybody, Mark Levin here. We are the cleanup hitter. Our number, 877- 381-3811. 877- Three eight one three eight one one. The question, really, that is going to uh, pertain to most of the program, is the question of liberty. Do we want to be a free people? And in order to be a free people, we need a free press. In order to be a free people, we need at least a relatively free economic system, don't we? I mean, the founders of the country thought so. They fought a revolution over taxation. They also fought a revolution over freedom of speech. And these issues come up now in the context of what's going on in this country. So first I want to discuss the press, but not just the usual rat-a-tat-tat. You'll see what I mean. And then I want to talk about economics. Do we all really believe in a free economic system or do we make excuses about it? And we really don't. So let's take the first part of this. And there are other things to get into too, but let's take the first part of this. President of the United States is in Britain. President of the United States is in Britain, and we have in the media tormentors and provocateurs. We have some reporters, but they're few and far between, between, and they're shrinking in numbers. We have pseudo-reporters for the most part. And uh, you have people like Jim Acosta who have as their purpose to draw attention to themselves, and so they disrupt actual events in the name of trying to get questions answered when, in fact, that's really not what they're doing. They never treated Barack Obama this way, and they never would. So there is a hostility, an ideological hostility, a personal hostility with certain of these pseudo-reporters toward the President of the United States. There was during the campaign, there was when he was President-elect, there is now. And it's not just CNN and Jim Acosta. It's the vast majority of these pseudo-media. They don't like being called fake news, so I call them pseudo. Just as well. And they are pseudo-media. Jake Tapper is a pseudo-reporter, as an example. Andrea Mitchell is a pseudo-reporter. We have individuals who go in and out of government. They'll work for Democrats, and in some cases Republicans, but the vast majority Democrats, and then they'll weasel their way back in the media, and maybe they'll go back and work for another Democrat. And that, in the so-called pseudo-profession that is pseudo-media, is perfectly fine. But it's not perfectly fine. They are the Peter Strokes of the media. And I, and I don't like it, Democrat or Republican, for that matter. Now, in addition, uh, you have uh, these events that go on outside the country now, the President of the United States and England. And is he compelled to take a question from one of the news outlets, which is particularly open in their... Hostility toward him, and I don't mean from a media point of view, I mean from an ideological point of view. And if he doesn't take the questions of Jim Acosta, if he doesn't allow Jim Acosta to turn a press event with another world leader into a food fight, does that mean the President of the United States is rejecting freedom of the press, or does it mean that Jim Acosta and CNN, NBC and the others are abusing their authority? Again, I'm not saying they shouldn't have freedom of speech. That's not my point, or freedom of the press. My point is, what are they doing with it? And does the president have to play along to the demise of his own administration? So let's begin at the beginning. Here is the president with Jim Acosta, who is a well known uh, mudball thrower. Cut to go.
2: President, since you, since you attacked CNN, can I ask you a question? Uh, John Roberts, go ahead, John. No, no. John Roberts, go ahead. CNN's fake news. I don't well, take well, questions. Sir, I don't you're you're take questions you, from you, CNN. You CNN, you is CNN. CNN. Question CNN is fake news. I don't take questions you're from CNN. Sir. John Roberts of Fox. Let's, a go right. a real, let's go to a real uh, network. John, ahead. let's go. Well, we're a real network, too, sir.
1: You're a network, but you're an ideological network. You're an ideological network. Is there a single conservative host on CNN? Well, you know, we're objective. No, you're not. There are left-wing hosts on Fox, like Shep Smith is clearly a left-winger. And there are others who are more liberal. There are actually some who are actual reporters. There are very few on CNN. CNN has remade itself over the years from a news operation to a... MSNBC wannabe operation. But this isn't my point either. I want to continue for a moment. John Roberts took a lot of heat at Fox because he followed up with a question, but he didn't defend Mr. Acosta and CNN. So he was trashed by people at CNN. He was trashed by phonies like David Frum. He was trashed, you know, left and right. He didn't come to CNN's defense. Is it his obligation to come to CNN's defense? Is it his obligation? No, it's not his obligation, because the president is not attacking freedom of the press. He's refusing to deal with an ideologue who's a provocateur and a self-promoter. But John Roberts felt the need later on uh, to do just that, because he came under tremendous attack by the pseudo-profession called the media. Cut three, go.
3: I wanted to point out, Harris, before we go, something happened at the press conference that I think needs addressing. The, the president called out one of my colleagues, Kristen Welker of NBC, as, as dishonest and said that NBC News was dishonest. He also called out CNN as not a real network, fake news. Well, let me just add that I know Kristen Welker. She's a friend of mine. She is as honest as the day is long. To call her dishonest is unfair. I used to work at CNN. They have fine journalists there who risk their lives uh, to cover the news around the world and to say that they are not a real network or fake news is also unfair so just wanted to add that in there
1: so he felt the need to and maybe legitimately to defend his former colleagues at cnn then he's talking about Kristen welker Kristen welker uh who as i understand it is a pseudo reporter for nbc and here's how that went cut one go
4: you have spent the week taking on NATO allies, criticizing Prime Minister May on her own soil. Uh, uh, right. And I, I wonder, if right. are you giving Russian President Vladimir Putin the upper hand heading into your talks, given that you are challenging these alliances that he seeks to break up and destroy?
2: See, that's such dishonest reporting because, of course, it happens to be NBC, which is possibly worse than CNN. Possibly. Possibly. Let nah. me <laughs> Stop.
1: Now, how is this destroying freedom of the press? It's not destroying freedom of the press in the least. In my view, he's giving his opinion. Many of you agree with his opinion. All right, that's enough. Now, why am I going through this? Because I happen to be spending many, many hours now, late at night and on the weekends, and there'll be many, many more studying this issue. the history of the media the backbenchers will do one of two things they'll suddenly jump in and do some superficial research or have somebody do it for them or they'll plagiarize but mostly over the weekend they're very busy doing other things now that said cnn has an obligation to reveal itself cnn has an obligation to reveal itself as a media outlet for the Democrat Party. What CNN is doing is poisoning the notion of a free press. No press can be wholly objective or bipartisan or multi-partisan because human beings don't conduct themselves that way nor do institutions. But they can strive to be. CNN says it strives to be But it doesn't. CNN has as its purpose—just listen to the various hosts. They're—they're almost a, a conga line that pretty much dances and sings the same way. They have a choir there. They have as their purpose to demean, degrade, and undermine this president. Now that's perfectly fine. But reveal yourself. Don't pretend you're a news operation, Jake Tapper. You're not a reporter. You can slap yourself on the back and pretend to be a reporter. You're not a reporter. Jim Acosta is a court jester. He's not a reporter. The Democrats love Jim Acosta. Why? The Democrats love Jake Tapper, even though now and then he pretends to be Tim Russert. He's no Tim Russert. Tim Russert was a reporter, one of a handful still in this country uh, while he was alive. But Tapper's not. Tapper's pedigree indicates that he's not. But he's not the only one. Andrea Mitchell. Andrea Mitchell has spent decades trashing Republicans. Decades. Now we all know this. We're not stupid. We are, at least theoretically, consumers of the news. MSLSD, a.k.a. MSNBC, a.k.a. not jobs, They pretty much reveal who they are. They don't say they're for the Democrat Party, but everybody knows. You want to listen to the hard left kooks, you go to MSNBC. Now, CNN has surrendered its news operation. It still pretends to be a news operation. It can't go through a damn airport without CNN being on TV because they they monopolize this, as I've talked about over the years. They monopolize it somehow, some way. And so the President of the United States, this is one of the reasons I couldn't be happier with this President. He's exposed it. He's exposed them. All those decades where these pseudo-media outlets went after George W. Bush, George H. W. Bush, Ronald Reagan, and you can go back. All those decades, Walter Cronkite, Uh, Who else? Dan Rather. Tom Brokaw. They were all of the same ilk. Now they behave themselves a little better. But not much. They were very pretentious about who they were. But still they are and were who they are and are. So here's the point to you. Who is damaging freedom of the press in this country? News outlets like CNN that won't reveal what they really are, who they really are, while pretending to give you news. The New York Times, which has, I don't believe any time in modern history, endorsed a Republican for President of the United States, and same with the Washington Post. These are old-time newspapers, some of them yellow journalists, yellow sheets, for the Democrat Party, or for the ideological progressive left. Now, when you point out their editorials, they'll tell you their editorials are different than their news pages. How so? How so? Because the editorial pages, truthfully, are more honest than the news pages. At least they call themselves editorials, opinion pages, op-eds, and so forth. The news operations don't do any of that. They don't do any of that. When they determine what to cover, how to cover it, and what to omit, and what not to cover... They're making decisions. They're making decisions. When the New York Times, throughout World War II, throughout the Third Reich, throughout the Holocaust, did everything it could to push that news to the back pages, and they have slapped themselves about it in the past few decades. A little late, I'd say. Was that an editorial decision? Of course it was an editorial decision. If it had been a news decision, they would have reported about it, but they didn't. Let's talk in more modern times. How long did it take to even know that Barack Obama's minister, Jeremiah Wright, and Barack Obama were as tight as they were, other than conservatives? How often were we told it's a non-issue? How often were we told that his association with Bill Air is a domestic terrorist, a domestic terrorist, a domestic terrorist? Involved in violence. How long were we told that, well, you know, it's not a big deal, that's racist, you can't bring it. How many times were we told that? Think about it. And so what I'm calling for here is that these media outlets that are aligned with the Democrat Party or aligned with an ideological force, admit it. That's all. And then we can trust them to be what they truly are. But as it turns out now, you hear this guy Acosta or you hear these other reporters and they have to defend themselves against, you know, Trump and so forth. And so all Trump is doing is calling out the obvious. What about Fox, you say? Well, Fox is more conservative than the others. Well, should they reveal themselves? If Fox gets rid of all those Obama people that they put on those panels and Shep and some of the others Chris Wallace who really is a professional in my view gets rid of those people then they can call themselves a Republican Party cable network but they try more than the others they try more than the others to do what they're supposed to do it's just that they're so rare because they're not part of the hardcore radical progressive media outlets that they're viewed as this really really right wing operation and I can tell you Having, being there right now, that's simply not the case. We'll be right back.
4: Mark In
1: What were the media like at the founding of this country? Well, you know, before there was a cohesive country, obviously we had colonies. And newspapers were heavily restricted. There weren't many newspapers. One of the great early printers and newspaper men was Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin's older brother was among the first. And he was a printer newspaper man in Boston, Massachusetts. They would get in trouble from time to time by criticizing the colonies. The assemblies in the colonies. And sometimes they would shut down their newspapers Or shut down their pamphlets Or shut down their printing presses Or fine them Sometimes they would imprison them Not necessarily Benjamin Franklin, but others Often you had to get a license Or permit Early on In the American colonies, you aware of that? I'm certainly not advocating that I'm just telling you, we didn't always have this So-called notion of Freedom of the press I'll be right back
2: To Denali, the great one. The great one. And you can call in now, 877 381 3811.
1: Let me give you an example, a modern example of what I'm talking about, like today. Robert Mueller brings indictments against 12 Russians who are part of the Putin regime. Rod Rosenstein gives a press conference. He makes it abundantly clear not a single American has been indicted that these Russians were trying to interfere with our election. It's all over the news. It's Friday. They played it on Friday. They can't get their hands on a single one of these Russians. Not one of these Russians is going to do prison time. Not one. And the media run with this like it's some monumental event. It's a non-event. This should have been handled through a counterintelligence investigation. That's why these matters are not criminal matters. Because you can't get your hands on the the defendant. Now we have defendants who are in Russia who work for Putin or used to work for Putin. What are we supposed to do about it? Seriously, what are we supposed to do about it? And uh, then I see some, uh, some media types say, lay off Mueller, he's doing his job, see how great he is, blah, blah, blah. Lay off Mueller, he's doing his job. Is there a single public official, ladies and gentlemen, we should lay off if we don't think they're doing their job? Do you understand what I mean about the media? NBC, ABC, CBS, CNN, MSNBC. Have they ever taken a critical look at Robert Mueller? Have they ever taken a critical look at any of the people on his team? Even certain people on Fox, have they ever taken a critical look at Robert Mueller? Or members of his team? No, they haven't. And yet he's an enormously powerful man, who, if he wants, can seek to bring down a president. But they're not going to bring him down. Do you want to know why? They're not they're not even going to question Mueller. Now why do you think they're not going to question Mueller? Yes, because of their ideologies. But what else? Because he and his people are sources. That's why. So they don't touch them. They don't touch them. And they're not going to. There's a present-day examples. So, you know, if the media are going to operate as if they are focusing towards one base of one party or another base of another party, they should reveal themselves. That's all. They should reveal them, But they won't, because they get to have it both ways. When you watch on C-SPAN, the White House Correspondents' Dinner, some of you who do, they almost never have a comedian a comedian who isn't of the hard left. Very rarely, very rarely. It's trashing conservatives, it's trashing Republicans, the jokes against like Obama, so they're friendly, they're funny little jokes and so forth. Not when it comes to Trump or his staff, not when it came to George W. Bush, not when it came to you name it. We all see this, we all know it. But we are told that we are forced to accept their reality, which isn't reality at all. It's not reality at all. Now I was talking about early on in American history. I'm not going to get into every detail, but obviously there was a big jump over a period of decades. There was a famous case. And um, the same people who fought for liberty against the monarchy in England fought for liberty in our country. The ability to say what they wanted to say within reason, quote-unquote, through pamphlets and newspapers and so forth. Even after the Revolutionary War, there were limits. It's not that there were limits placed on newspaper; There were limits. And basically what they said was, you can print whatever you want, but you can also be sued for defamation and slander, which were much more broadly defined back then. So you'll pay a price if you're inaccurate, or you'll pay a price if I think you ought to pay a price. What am I saying? I'm trying to say that today you listen to these these egomaniacs on MSNBC and CNN and, and commentators that they bring in, self-serving commentators selected to, again, to advance an ideology from the New York Times or the Washington Post or the AP or whatever, and they tell you we have never faced any time in our history this kind of threat against press freedom. The press has never been freer in this country, which is why you have the Don Lemons and the Wolf Blitzers and the, the conga line of miscreants and malcontents that are on MSNBC and CNN. I just picked those two out. You know, there's, there's, there's a whole group of them. You've never had a freer media and a more abusive media. Because it's they're dishonest in terms of self identity. They won't identify themselves as what they actually are. They know who they are. They know what they think. We do too. But we're supposed to play this game. That they're news people. When you watch those White House press conferences with uh Huckabee Sanders those reporters aren't trying to get information they're trying to score points they're trying to move an agenda they never conducted themselves that way against Barack Obama or any of his press spokesmen not that I can remember not that I can remember so it's very very dishonest so that's liberty issue number one that we should discuss tonight because it's a big deal now liberty issue number two because liberty is liberty folks it comes in different forms it can be economic it can be uh, physical, personal, individualistic it can be um, uh, intellectual that is what you say, what you think, what you write so forth and so on and it can always come under attack See, I would argue that the modern media or the pseudo-media today is actually undermining the freedom of the press by the way they conduct themselves and the way they abuse that phrase. But I want to get into the other liberty issue. It's an economic issue. And this is where some of you are going to turn left and just keep going. It's an economic issue. It's as much in the news... Or let me check that. It's as relevant as everything I just discussed about the media. And that's trade. Trade. The earliest, earliest civilizations wanted trade, were involved in trade. They wanted to know what's on the other side of the world. What do they have that we don't have? We want what what they have what kind of knowledge do they have what kind of information do they have who are they what are they you see to close off trade uh, stick with me is to close off among other things your intellectual capacity to learn to gain information to gain knowledge look at North Korea you've got people over there who have no idea what's going on in the rest of the world. They don't learn about the Enlightenment. They don't learn about Reformation. They don't learn about Republicanism, Constitutionalism. They don't learn any of that stuff. They're not aware of it. In addition to the material wealth that that is denied them. Trade is, 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 is trade in material. It's trade in services, but it's also trade in creativity, ingenuity, knowledge, information. We are the strongest economic force the planet has ever seen because there was a period of time, largely in the 19th century, when we were virtually tariff-free. I'm not talking about the rest of the world, I'm talking about us. The left attacks the Industrial Revolution. And now I find so-called populists attacking it too. Maybe not directly, but nonetheless. That's why they attack John Rockefeller, Mellon, Carnegie, Ford. Talking about their political views. Robber barons, they used to call them. They and others brought us mobility. Mobility. Electricity, heat in our homes, air conditioning in our homes. They and others propelled this nation into an economic juggernaut the planet has never seen before. And despite all that you've been told and learned, the vast majority of people in the United States benefited from it. ...and would benefit from it. And would benefit from it. As would those parts of the world... ...that engaged in it. Capitalism. We should not be afraid... ...of material that is available overseas. We should not be afraid... ...of products and services that are available overseas. We should not be afraid of knowledge and information that's available overseas... If other countries are afraid, that's their problem. If they want to be poor, that's their problem. If they want to be dumber, that's their problem. I'm not talking about when they steal our technology. That's a whole other issue. I'm talking about trade. What is trade? Of course, we have copyright laws. We have trademark laws. We have patent laws. We have uh, proprietary information laws. We have... We have export regimes. That's all good. That's all good. That creates a, it, 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 it's, it's like a, a courtroom. You need, you need rules, right? Certain rules of trade, certain rules in the courtroom, certain rules of behavior in your family. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. But when the government intervenes, when the government intervenes, for the purpose of claiming we need a level playing field or things need to be fair that's irrational and this is where some of you are going to take a left turn and leave me I can't help it I hope you'll be inquisitive enough to stay with me it's irrational a tariff is a tax you're going to tax the American people to punish another country You're going to raise the price of toasters and washing machines and dishwashers and automobiles on average Americans, middle class Americans by potentially in the aggregate thousands and thousands of dollars to punish other governments and other countries? Do you see how absolutely irrational that is? I know all the phony jingoistic arguments. We need to protect our our industrial heartland. But we don't protect our industrial heartland by massively increasing the cost of products on the American people who will buy less of them. I will tell you. Take a look at steel. We have a huge tariff placed on steel now. If any country wants to sell steel into this country, well, let's just pick one. Canada. Canada. Canada, which is which sells most of the steel that we get overseas to us, not China, Canada. A twenty five percent tax. That tax isn't on Canada. That tax isn't on Canadian steel companies. That tax isn't on the Canadian taxpayer. That tax is on you. Now our domestic companies, they're very competitive. They don't sit still and say, all right, good. Good. Now we can control foreign imports of steel by driving up the price to the American consumer and American businesses GM, Chrysler Ford, the assembly line men and women who work there, last time I checked they're not billionaires and millionaires, they're hard working American citizens, they're blue collar citizens who work with their hands well they're going to be affected negatively now these American steel companies that you think are so patriotic They raise their prices too. Do you know why? Because the president has limited competition. That's why. They raise their prices too. You raise 25% of tax on steel coming into this country on the American people. These steel companies don't sit here and say, you know what, we're going to drop our prices. You know what they do? They increase their prices. Because now's the time to really make it. And we subsidize subsidize that kind of behavior. And so in order to protect maybe 5,000, 10,000, 20,000 jobs, we lose 200,000 jobs downstream. Is that liberty? Is that what makes a country wealthy? All right, I have to take a break. We'll be right back. Mark
4: Levin.
1: Very quickly, as a footnote to the point about the indictment of 12 of uh, Putin's apparatchiks over there in Russia who never have any intention of setting foot in the United States and will never see the inside of a courtroom in the United States. Much drama and bravado. Mm
4: -hmm.
1: I agree that if somebody is trying to interfere in an election in a democratic society, they should be punished. And I agree. Particularly if we can get our hands on them, they should be indicted. And so my question to Mr. Mueller is, is there a reason why you haven't indicted Barack Obama for interfering with the election in Israel? The evidence is all over the country. It's all over the place. I'll pull it together and email it to you. You don't even have to hire another Democrat prosecutor. Is there a reason why Mr. Rosenstein in his press conference today didn't say that we will also be looking at Barack Obama? Not because he interfered, uh, not because uh, of the Russian interference in our election, but because of his interference in the Israeli election. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, we ought to have standards here. I don't believe the Russians should have interfered in our election. I don't believe Obama should have interfered in our election, which he did through his surrogates at the FBI and so forth. But he also interfered in the election in Israel because he sought to defeat the prime minister who was running for re-election, Benjamin Netanyahu. Is there a reason why that moral standard doesn't apply to Barack Obama? Is there a reason why he hasn't been indicted? And we can get our hands on him, by the way. You know, here's what I love about Simply Save Home Security. These guys obsess over the details. It's why the alarm system's so good. Now, here's an example. A typical glass break sensor sometimes gets fooled a false positive. Sounds like drop plates or a baby crying. Safe didn't want to settle for typical because really good home security should be really accurate. So what did they do? They actually constructed a glass break test facility. Refining these, these glass break detection technology until it was accurate, it could uh, distinguish a broken plate from a broken window. That's pretty damn accurate. This is the level of detail Safe puts into everything they do. It sets them apart from other security companies. Simply Safe system is designed so you'll never notice it. Never have to think about it. It's that easy and intuitive. There's no contract. They work hard to earn your business. 24 7 monitoring with police and fire dispatch is just $15 a month. It's the best around the clock protection you can find anywhere. Protect your home and family with Simply Safe today. Go to simplysafemark.com. 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 Now, tomorrow, don't forget. I'm going to be campaigning with Congressman DeSantis. I very much would like to see him with the Republican nomination for governor. Now, where is it again? It is uh, Jupiter Florida Trump Golf Club. Go to Mark Levin Show, Facebook, Mark Levin Show, Twitter. I've got it up there. If you're in Florida, we're going to have a blast. I'll see you at 3 or 4 p.m. tomorrow.
0: Broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello everybody, Mark Levin here. This is our
1: two. We're handling this show a little differently. Two big issues up front. We're going to take your calls and I will react to your calls. Please don't forget Sunday's Fox show. 10 p.m. Eastern 7 p.m. Pacific I think we call it Life, Liberty, and Levin Am I hearing a noise or something? No? Do you hear that, Rich, or am I wrong? What is that noise? No I don't know what that is Anyway um, There it is again It is? We can't turn it off? I don't think Whatever that noise is, I, I can't stop it. All right. Anyway, so um, on Life, Liberty, and Levin on Sunday, 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific, I'm having Shelby Steele on. He is terrific. I don't want you to miss it. Seriously, you're going to be talking about this show. I've never told you this before. I think you're going to be talking about this show for a long time. So I hope you check it out. It's a perfect way to end your week, and I know you're about to begin it. But it's great, 10 p.m. Eastern time. It's a lot of fun, too. Go to rondesantis.com, I'm told, and you'll get all the details about where, when, how, what, which, what, rap, uh, for the event tomorrow. I look forward to seeing as many of you as possible. Just to circle back on my footnote from the first hour, uh, I watched this Rosenstein up there telling a press conference about these 12 Russians they indicted. Well, they might as well uh, indict 12 Norwegians or 12 uh, Zimbabweans or uh, or uh, I don't know whomever they want, because they're never going to see the the, they're never going to be in this country. And then and then you see Mueller's really doing his job. He's really getting to the bottom of it. Getting to the bottom of what? I think we knew the Russians were interfering in our life. Mueller was the former director of the FBI. He was the director of the FBI before Comey. And nobody ever asked, what the hell did the guy do as FBI director when the Russians were trying to interfere with our election? Didn't just start in the 2016 election. What did he do? I'm quite serious. They hold him up like he's this magnificent figure. He's a knucklehead. Nothing magnificent about the guy. All right, so the issues we have are liberty, freedom of the press, and capitalism, including trade. Give it your best shot. We're going to start with a gentleman by the name of Rocky, Tampa, Florida, on the Mark Levin app. How are you, Rocky?
5: Hello, Mark. I'm doing well, and you are like my idol. I have learned so much from you. Thank you. And thank you for all the work that you put in. Mark, you you. are the rudder of political exactness. And I propose to you that we have a horrible image problem in the perception of political, um, viewing the perci- political spectrum, you know, it's left and right and center. And these living liberals would have you believe that uh, Fox News is so right-wing, and yet sometimes they're left and center. So I got to thinking the Constitution should be our center point. And that's where the bird flies. It's right there on the Constitution, everything to the left of that would be to the left, and everything to the right of that would be to the right. Isn't this
1: sort of what I've been saying for some time now? When you look at the political spectrum, it's really a circle. And on that line, not in the middle, on the line at the bottom of that circle, we constitutionalists slash conservatives, because we believe in the, the founding principles of the country. To the left, as you go around, it gets more and more leftist, leftist, and then at the top... It is, um, you know, Marxism to the left of that as it comes back towards constitutionalism, your progressivism and so forth. Then when you go back to the top point, you have some form of fascism, if you will. And then as you move down, you have, you know, this, that and the other. But I could not agree more. I've espoused this myself that I don't want to call us moderates or centrists because that's that's again, they have their own definitions. We are, as you point out, we are the center of the spectrum. If you believe in the founding of the nation, we are the center of the spectrum. You and I, and this this magnificent, beloved, massive audience, we are defending the center. We're defending the heart and soul of the nation. We're not on any wing. We're not right wing. We're not extremists. We're nothing of the sort. So I agree with you, Rocky. By the way, is your real name Rocky?
2: Yes, it is. I like it. <laughs> Thank you. You'll All see right, me buddy. running up and down the steps. <laughs>
1: All right, well, take care of yourself. Well, you won't see me doing that, that's for sure. Brian, New York, Sirius Satellite, go.
6: Hey, Mark. Um, so I just want to talk about how the the idea that the tariffs will reduce a trade imbalance are, are based on the fallacy of the trade imbalance. You know, if you go back to when humans started trading, which is why we call it trade, it was barter, and what money does is whether it's dollars or yen or euros or wampum or precious metals or whatever it is, it gives us a baseline to compare our values of things against. Right. So we don't have to constantly decide whether my goat versus your tomatoes versus the tools that the guy down the street made and try to constantly figure out the values because we have a baseline. Exactly. If things are properly priced, there is no trade imbalance because you're getting a value in a product that you're paying, in theory, an equal value of money for. When you impose a tariff... Because oh, no, let's stop. Before you
1: to... get to that, this is a very important point. Trade is, involves individuals or individual companies, that sort of thing. Countries don't trade, here's $100 billion, and now you only gave us $150 billion, therefore we have a $50 billion trade deficit. That's not the way it works. Nobody's pointing a gun to somebody's head who's involved in trade. So, let's say I'm, I'm, a, I'm a producer, I need uh, 15 barrels of oil from uh, Saudi Arabia, I purchased 15 barrels of oil from Saudi Arabia, and I sell them nothing. Is that a trade imbalance? Nope. No. I paid a, a, a negotiated price for those barrels of oil, I need those barrels of oil to make my assembly line work, and you know, I'm just, again, just a, a, a theoretical example. And yet, theoretically, we have an imbalance. Right, well, well the- that's not an imbalance. That's called trade. Right. Now, you're quite right. So- I mean, the funny thing is, if people believe in the gold standard, the funny thing is, all these countries, and I don't buy this, all these countries, I buy the gold standard, I don't buy their argument, which is, okay, we have a, let's just throw out a $50 billion trade deficit with XYZ company, a country that we buy, say, oil from. All right, so they have a bunch of green paper, and we have their oil. We ought to be celebrating that. Anyway, right. there you go.
6: So, so then what happens is, if, if we, to use your, your barrel of oil example, if we impose a tariff on those barrels of oil, we created a trade imbalance because you're now, we are now going to pay more, but it's not worth more.
7: Or I
1: won't buy it.
6: Well, true.
1: Maybe maybe I was going to expand. Thank uh, you for your call. It's an excellent call, and I I want to double down on what he's saying. There was a great thinker. His name was Henry Hazlitt, and he wrote a little book on economics. Turned out to be a big book, not in terms of size, but in terms of its influence. He was a newspaper man, but anyway, he wrote a book called Economics in One Lesson. It's, I think it's over half a century old. You ought to get it if you haven't. Go on Amazon and get it. Economics in one lesson. And in Chapter 11, he talks about it, about trade. Just a common sense guy. And I want to address what he says. I want you to hear what he says. And tell me if it makes sense to you right after the break. We'll be right
4: back. Love in.
1: at one point there were a million people in the street protesting him the left in Europe is very stupid like the left in the United States is very stupid the left in many parts of the country look in uh, Israel they're stupid they're just stupid they're all stupid Uh, but in any event Henry Hazlitt economics in one lesson he wrote let's look at this matter Let's see the effect of imposing a tariff in the first place. Suppose that there had been no tariff on foreign knit goods, that Americans were accustomed to buying foreign sweaters without duties, and that the argument were then put forward that we could bring a sweater industry into existence by imposing a duty of $5 on sweaters. There'd be nothing logically wrong with this argument so far as it went. The cost of British sweaters to the American consumer might thereby be forced so high that American manufacturers would find it profitable to enter the sweater business. But American consumers would be forced to subsidize that industry. On every American sweater they bought, they would be forced, in effect, to pay a tax of $5, which would be collected from them in a higher price for the new sweater industry. Americans would be employed in a sweater industry who had not previously been employed in a sweater industry. That much is true, but there would be no net addition to the country's industry or the country's employment because the American consumer had to pay $5 more for the same quality of sweater. He would have just that much left left over to buy anything else. So the $5 wouldn't be able to go to buy something else manufactured by another industry. And other employees. The consumer would have to reduce its expenditures by $5 somewhere else. In order that one industry might grow or come into existence, a hundred other industries would have to shrink. In order that 20,000 persons might be employed in a sweater industry, 20,000 fewer persons would be employed elsewhere. It's actually worse. But the new industry would be visible. The number of its employees, the capital invested in it, the market value of its products in terms of dollars could be easily counted. The neighbors could see the sweater workers going to and from the factory every day. The results would be palpable and direct, but the shrinkage of a hundred other industries, the loss of 20,000 other jobs somewhere else would not be so easily noticed. It would be impossible for even the cleverest statistician to know precisely what the incidence of the loss of other jobs had been, precisely how many men and women had been laid off from each particular industry, precisely how much business each woman uh, each particular industry had lost because consumers had to pay more for their sweaters. For a loss spread among all the other productive activities of the country would be comparatively minute for each. So it'd go unnoticed. But it would happen nonetheless. It would affect individuals and lives and businesses. It'd be impossible for anyone to know precisely how each consumer would have spent his extra $5 if he'd been allowed to retain it. The overwhelming majority of the people, therefore, would probably suffer from the optical illusion that the new industry had cost us nothing. That it cost some people everything. And this brings us, he writes, to the real effect of a tariff wall. It's not merely that all its visible gains are offset by less obvious, but no less, real losers. It results, in fact, in a net loss to the country. For contrary to centuries of interested propaganda and disinterested confusion, the tariff reduces the American level of wages. Let's observe more clearly how it does this. We've seen that the added amount which consumers pay for a tariff-protected article leaves them just that much less with which to buy other articles. There is here no net gain to industry as a whole, but as a result of the artificial barrier erected against foreign goods, American labor, capital, and land are deflected from what they can do more efficiently to what they do less efficiently. That's why they need to be subsidized with your tax dollars. Therefore, as a result of the tariff wall, the average productivity of American labor and capital is reduced. That is, the money is not going where it would otherwise go on a voluntary basis towards other production, other inventions, other activities. He goes on. If we look at it now from the consumer's point of view, we find that he can buy less with his money because he has to pay more for sweaters and other protected goods. He can buy less of everything else. The general purchasing power of his income has therefore been reduced. Whether the net effect of the tariff is to lower money wages or to raise money prices will depend on the monetary policies that are followed. So in other words, you will lose the value of your wage to some extent because you're paying an artificially higher price for something. But what is clear is that the tariff, that is a tax though it may increase wages above what they would have been in the protected industries, must, on net balance, when all occupations are considered, reduce real wages for everybody else. And I would argue that it's even worse than that. It stymies an economy. You and I, the President of the United States... Wilbur Ross over at the Commerce Department, this pretend but buffoonish economist or whatever he is, maybe he is one, Peter Navarra. We like to say, as conservatives, there is no way for one person or one group of people to know how to manage Americans, to manage a massive multi trillion dollar economy. And yet, when you deign yourself knowledgeable enough to know how to protect certain businesses, to improve certain businesses, to increase the output of certain businesses, you're no better than a leftist because you can't possibly have that knowledge. Remember on this program, a couple of times we've done I-Pencil. I-Pencil. How complicated a pencil is. What's involved in making a pencil? It's incredible. And it involves many, many nations. Many, many levels of production. All kinds of things that you wouldn't necessarily think about. Well, imagine making a computer, not a pencil. An automobile, not a pencil. A calculator, we still have those? Not a pencil. An iPhone, not a pencil. I can go on and on and on. And go on and on and on. This is the one area where I have a strong disagreement with the president and his Bernie Sanders-type tariff policies, and his Herbert Hoover-type tariff policies. And you can observe that even among conservatives on radio and TV, how they have genuflected and become protectionists. It's not America first to raise taxes on the American people. It's not America first to redistribute wealth this way. It's not America first to destroy far more jobs than you create or protect in any subsidized industry. America first is about liberty. Now you might say, what about all these other countries? They don't believe in any of this. You know what I say? Some of them do and some of them don't. And the ones that don't will become poorer as a result. The ones that don't, their citizens have less choices than we do. The ones that don't tend to be socialist ...or police states. The ones that don't, that's their problem. That's their problem. You do not, you do not... ...create more of American industries... ...more wealth in this country... ...more opportunity in this country... ...by attacking capitalism... ...and attacking trade. When you have an enemy like China... ...that steals your technology... ...that's a wholly separate issue... ...as you know if you've listened to this show. I'm talking about with our allies... I'll be right back.
0: Some hosts talk about the news. Mark Levin influences the news. Call the Mark Levin Show now at 877-381-3811.
1: You know, uh, I should also point out This phrase trade deficits, what does that mean? We buy more things, goods, whatever, from one country than they buy from us. So what? Well, it's not fair because they have barriers. Well, that means that their people are limited in what they can purchase from us, they're less free, they have less choices. There'll be less opportunities for them. Just as tariffs would not work and do not work for us, they don't work for other countries either. And that's why these countries get increasingly desperate, like China is quite desperate right now. Its banks are very weak. Europe, their economies are a joke compared to ours. Why would we want to copy them? Why would we want to copy them? You know, if we had the closest thing to free trade possible, and we never have had it in a pure form, where do you think foreign currency would flow? Do you think it would flow into these these repressive economies, or do you think it would flow into our economy? It's like water. It would flow into our economy. You think if we have a $50 billion trade deficit with a country. I don't even know what that means. It means that we buy more than they buy from us it doesn't affect our treasury it has nothing to do with government funds it just means we buy more from that country than they buy well it's not fair because they have these tariffs in place in other words they tax their own people if they buy stuff from us so you know how we're going to get even we're going to tax our people the American citizen to get even with them is that the dumbest thing you've ever heard it's the dumbest thing I've ever heard Except the 12 indictment of Russians so who'll never see the inside of American courtroom while Barack Obama's running free having interfered with the Israeli election and nobody's indicting him. That's pretty dumb too. You know, it's no secret that I love my Casper mattress. Their engineers have done a marvelous job creating an exceptionally comfortable sleep experience. It's made falling into bed a whole new experience. And get a Casper and you'll understand why it's not just my favorite mattress, it's the Internet's too. Casper has three unique mattresses to help you sleep cool and comfortably year-round. The Wave is engineered to relieve pressure at 36 different points. The original Casper is more breathable and comfortable than ever. And the essential is innovation at a great price point. All mattresses are designed to coddle and comfort your every move plus provide the perfect support for every position you sleep in. Discover why Casper has hundreds of thousands of happy customers like me, like my family. Try your Casper mattress for 100 nights in your own home with free shipping and returns. Go to casper.com/mark and use code mark to save $50 on the purchase of select mattresses. That's casper.com/mark code mark to save 50 bucks. Terms and conditions apply see the site for details by the way the noise has stopped we have come to a consensus here on what it was a UFO it was a UFO hovering over the house alright where do you disagree with me maybe you agree with me maybe you don't give a damn let's go to Jeff in what is this Fulda, Minnesota Sirius Satellite how are you sir
2: Good. Been listening a long time. Lovely Thank show. you.
1: Thank you. Uh,
2: I'm an uneducated farmer, and these tariffs are killing me.
1: Yep. What What do you grow?
2: Corn and soybeans.
1: And, man, I buy as much corn as I can, brother. I love corn. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, it's sad. Yeah, I Go grow ahead. Say again?
2: You don't need the corn I grow.
1: Yeah. Uh, uh, you don't
6: need field corn. I'm not no, trying don't. to figure out my phone to get back off speaker. I'm in my pickup driving.
1: Yeah. But there's farmers all over this country who have a, a negative effect from these tariffs.
2: Uh, in the last three months, the price of our commodity
6: has went down so bad I don't know what we're going to do.
1: Let me explain to people why it's gone down in your case. Because farmers across the country produce more than we can consume in this country. That's how wonderful our farmers are. That's how effective and efficient our farmers are. And they are the best in the face of the earth. And so they, have, they grow their crops in advance, obviously. They plant their, their seed and crops and so forth in anticipation of these markets. And then when you f- you slap a tariff on another country and they slap one back for the purpose of hurting our farmers, many of whom voted for the president of the United States, this is what you get. And Jeff now is suffering as a result of these tariffs over the last three months, you said, correct? Correct. So while one industry, those guys are smiling, they're happy, we've got... Massive taxes, if anybody dares to buy steel from another country or dares to buy aluminum from another country or dares to buy lumber from Canada, you know, the tax on the on the American consumer and American business is through the roof. And so wouldn't we all like that? Wouldn't we all like that? American all like 1%
2: that? of the United States. Say that again? The American farmer is 1% of the United States.
1: Yeah, but you know what, Jeff? People like me, we show up at the grocery store and we expect the food to be there. It's so ridiculous.
2: And if we can't feed our family, how am I supposed to feed your family?
1: I agree. It's terrible. And this this took place with the Smoot-Hawley. This took place uh, in the Depression. The farmers got whacked first, and then everything else followed.
2: It's very frustrating for our U.S. farmers.
1: All right, my friend, and I'm sorry about this. I really am. It's terrible. It's unnecessary. Thank you for your call. I mean, obviously, uh, I didn't run for president, but what I would have done is gotten together with all of our allies and then focused on China. How to control what China's doing, which is stealing our technology, stealing us blind. You know, that's absolute lawlessness. In some cases, it's it's really uh, as close to an act of war as you can have. But we're not talking about that in cases uh, in which we're dealing with allies. We're not. And the vast majority of people in this country are not farmers. He said 1%. All of us, however, eat food. All of us are consumers. And you're going to get whacked one day, too. Because the president's thinking of a 25% tariff on automobiles. And if you work for the UAW... Or you work for one of those uh, contractors or one of those uh, sub companies that provides parts and so forth. You are going to get clobbered because uh, the impact, in addition to uh, the tariffs on steel and aluminum, uh, will be severe. So I'm the one who believes in making America first, and you make America first by embracing as much capitalism as 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 as, as possible. Uh, by growing through wealth creation, that's how you create. Not by protectionism, not by taxing, not by subsidies, not by tariffs. Again, I have a national security exception when it comes to China. China is our enemy. China is our enemy. China seeks to replace us. as. What, what is it with this Dershowitz all the time? When he's, uh, he's at Martha's Vineyard, he's got the Skype camera up his left nostril. I, I don't understand what's going on here. Okay, okay, they don't like you at Martha's Vineyard. Then get the hell out of there. Who wants to go to Martha's Vineyard anyway? And I like Dershowitz. I, I'm not putting him down. Go to Nantucket for crying out loud. What do you want? I don't know. I walk out there. People love me. People hate me. People don't know me. It's the way it is. All right, let's continue. Frank Livingston, New Jersey, the Great WABC. Go.
0: Yes, uh, I'm calling in reference to uh, the unfairness of the uh, tariffs, uh, Mark. Not only do I disagree with tariffs, period, just like you, but the way that they're being administered. I'll give you an example. Your favorite enemies, China. I buy some items from them that I cannot purchase here in the states. For customers in the steel industry. So what happens is, is I have these rolls ordered. It's been since January. So now they come over here, and we get that 25% increase. Well, why? <laughs> That's totally unfair. These things have been, you know, on the go since last January, and it takes six months. There was no thought process to what will happen. What's going to happen to some of these ports when little guys like myself cannot uh, uh, afford it and say, the heck with it. I'll just leave it there. Well, it's, you... an,
1: it's an interesting point you raise, because it does affect the ports, doesn't
0: it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And you
1: got all those union guys at the ports, too, the longshoremen.
0: Yes, exactly. Exactly. But the, this whole thing was not thought out very well. And we know Mr. Wilbur Ross also in the steel industry. And uh, let's just say he's not a very, very nice person.
1: I'm not big on him. At all, he's made two point three billion dollars, crying all the way to Congress for protectionism, for tariffs, for subsidies. He buys these companies cheap, and then he uh, then he gets uh, he, he uh, it's called crony capitalism.
0: Exactly, that's what I, it is. I agree with you, Mark. Keep up with the good show on Sunday. I love it. I join every weekend.
1: Thank you. I know, I know you're going to love this Sunday. Don't forget. I appreciate it, Frank. Thank you. Jeffrey, Denver, Colorado, on the Mark Levin app. How are you?
7: I'm doing well. Thank you, Mark, for taking
0: my call. Yes, sir. Um, I spent some time today reading through the Mueller uh, indictment of the Russians, and I was struck by paragraph 37 where it said, starting in or around June 16th and through the election, they released emails stolen from individuals affiliated with the Clinton campaign. And then there's another comment that said the conspirators also released documents they had stolen in other spear phishing operations, including those they had collected in 2015 that collected emails from individuals affiliated with the Republican Party.
4: Hmm.
0: I have heard nothing about leaked emails or stolen emails from the Republican Party.
6: Mm -hmm.
1: Well, that's interesting. Very interesting. All right, Jeffrey, I appreciate your point. Kathy, Ben to Oregon, the great KBND. Go.
8: Hi. I am taking it back to your opening uh, point about the media and how yes, they ma'am. try to um, show the point themselves to be unbiased. But we have heard time and again, starting with uh, that I can recall, um, Sonia Sotomayor talking about how she would be a better judge because of her. she's a white Latina and it brings her experiences to her judgments. And then you've got Comey that says if an investigator goes into an investigation without knowing where it's going, he's a bad investigator. So then you have struck up there before Congress saying he's able to do his job and not let his personal opinions get in the way of him doing his job, which we all know is baloney. And then it comes to the media and how they portray themselves as being fair and honest and unbiased. But I think it's the biggest danger facing our country is our media, our dishonest media, and it is not giving the vast majority of the American public the truth.
1: I I agree. And what I'm saying is, uh, fine, they don't have to change. At least put the right label on what they're doing.
8: Exactly.
1: Stop telling us that you are defending press freedom when you're criticized. You're not defending press freedom when you're criticized. You're trying to conceal who you are. And uh, nobody here that I'm aware of is trying to curtail freedom of the press. I mean, we conservatives are the one who defend the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. Uh, it is the progressive status left that does not. So if MSNBC wants to be, uh, you know, insane left, fine. If CNN wants to be uh, insane left and pretend that they're not, fine. But we want to put a label on them. And they should self-identify. Remember that phrase, self-identify? Well, they should self-identify. CNN should self-identify as a Democrat or liberal news operation. Shouldn't be ashamed of it. That's what they are. MSNBC should self-identify as a radical left news organization, or better yet, media operations, what they actually are. Just be honest about what you're doing. Stop playing games. We all know what you're doing. And so when you get out there and you go on about... uh, Uh, you're defending uh, freedom of the press because you're being called out as to actually who you are. No, you're not defending freedom of the press. Thank you for your call, ma'am. I appreciate it. We'll be right back.
4: Mark
1: Put a dent into your summer plans quite like your car breaking down. You're hit with a huge repair bill out of nowhere, and all the money you saved for a special trip like an island getaway now has to pay to fix your car. Well, when you have extended vehicle protection like I do from Car Shield, you don't have to worry about these unwelcome surprises. Now, look, if your car breaks down after the manufacturer's warranty expires, you could be out of pocket thousands of dollars just to get it fixed. Replacing your engine alone can cost thousands. Even a simple repair to a sensor can cost over a thousand bucks. And there's nothing simple, by the way, about today's cars. They also provide you 24-7 roadside assistance and a rental car while yours is being fixed for free. Now, if your car has 5,000 to 150,000 miles, it doesn't mean you have to pay high repair bills. Car Shield administrators have paid out close to $2 billion in claims, and they're ready to help you. Save yourself thousands in future car repairs and don't worry about missing out this summer. Get covered by ultimate, the ultimate in extended vehicle protection like I did for our 2010 Camaro. Call 800-CAR-6100 and mention code LEVIN or visit carshield.com and use code LEVIN and you'll save 10%. That's carshield.com, code LEVIN, L-E-V-I-N or call 800-CAR-6100, mention code LEVIN, a deductible may apply. Good question. From John in Orlando, Florida, Sirius Satellite. Go!
0: Yeah, Mark. Uh, I love listening to your show, but I have—I'm I'm not a supporter of tariffs, but I have a question for you. If tariffs are so bad go for economy, it. Why does China have an eight and a half percent growth rate compared to the United States at only two and a half percent?
1: Well, there's a lot of reasons for that. China uh, devalues its currency, and so um, they make their economy look bigger than it is. Uh, so they devalue their currency. Now, if we devalued our currency, it would affect your savings, wouldn't it? But it would don't affect, you think that- hold on, I'm, I'm, ans- I'm answering it would affect your pension. There's other things that affect it, too. When you have a smaller economy, uh, it's easier to grow it to a bigger extent. But you could pick another country. If they have a high inflation rate, you could say their GDP has increased 20%. It doesn't really matter. So all things have to be equal, and they're not.
7: Yeah, but I, don't you think, though, if a tariff – is utilized properly and instead
1: uh, Well, sir, if you're right and I'm wrong, then we ought to have 100% tariff rates on everything. Then we'll have a 50% GDP.
7: No, I'm saying that if, it was, if they were administered properly...
1: Tariffs they, cannot be administered properly because no bureaucrat or no collection of bureaucrats, no politician or collection of bureaucrats, uh, politicians, know how to administer tariffs correctly. There's too, the, the economy is too complex, it's too diverse, it's too widespread to know how to manage a tariff correctly. You put a 25% tax on steel coming into this country, just start thinking about the products that contain some level of steel, the assembly lines that are involved, the parts that people have to purchase in order to work on assembly lines and so forth. You heard the gentleman just call. you got contracts that are in place back in January, and all of a sudden you're hit with a tariff, and all of a sudden the contract's out of whack. I'll even give you another one. Consider the United States military. When you're jacking up the price of steel, jacking up the price of aluminum, how do you think that affects the United States military's purchasing power?
0: I agree with that, but don't you think that—
1: Every time somebody uh, agrees with me, they end with, but, don't you think? What is your question?
0: Don't you think, don't
1: you think uh, that the demand for
0: American steel would go up? Would what? Because of the tariffs on the foreign
1: steel. No, no, that's not the expectation. The demand for domestic use of of uh, of domestic steel theoretically goes up. That's the point. All right, we'll be right back.
0: here now broadcasting from the underground command post deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building we've once again made contact with our leader mark levin hello
1: everybody mark levin here this is our three our number eight seven seven three eight one three eight one one eight seven seven 3813811. We've had robust and vigorous debate about tariffs, about what do we mean by freedom of the press. Let me tell you something we just figured out here. This indictment of the 12 Russians, The essential facts that are in the indictment were in the House Intelligence Committee's final report on Russian involvement in our campaign. I'm going to prove it to you. I just pulled up the summary findings of the House Intelligence Committee report. Remember, they trashed Nunes and trash the Republicans, and you're not to take it seriously, and on and on and on. Now, a lot of the report is redacted because the Justice Department and FBI didn't want that information public. Some of it, I surmise, is now in the indictment. The point being that Nunes and that committee that he runs were on top of this stuff. And dismissed and attacked for it. Let me read you some of the the, uh, summary findings in the table of findings. I pulled up the report here. Chapter 1, Russia campaigns in Europe. Chapter 2, Russia attacks the United States. So let's look at Chapter 2, just the headings. Finding number 7, Russia conducted cyber attacks on U.S. political institutions in 2015 and 2016. And of course, I'm reading the headline summaries. They have all the details provided in the report. Finding number eight, Russian state actors, you know, like generals and intelligence officials and third-party intermediaries were responsible for the dissemination of documents and communications stolen from U.S. political organizations. Isn't that what the indictment says? Finding number nine, the Russian government used RT, Russia TV, to advance its malign influence campaign during the 2016 U.S. presidential election. Isn't that Larry King's employer? I think it is. Finding number 10. Russian intelligence. Intelligence. Leverage social media in an attempt to sow social discord and to undermine the U.S. electoral process. So number one, just as a superficial surface matter. They point out, yes, Russia conducted cyber attacks against our political institutions. That would include the DNC and the GOP. From 2015 to 2016, and I might add, that's during the time the Obama administration was in charge of protecting the election. Russia's state actors, state actors, and their intermediaries were responsible for the dissemination of documents and communications stolen from U.S. political organizations. The emails is an example. Number nine, the Russian government used their TV network To advance their influence campaign. Number ten, Russia intelligence leverage social media in an attempt to sow social discord and to undermine the US electoral process. What I'm saying here is the essential facts of what the Russians did as stated in this indictment have been already presented. The essential facts by the House Intelligence Committee Republicans under Chairman Devin Nunes. Now, have you heard a single so-called news organization report that? No. You haven't heard CNN because CNN hates Nunes and hates that committee. They're used to getting leaks from the Democrats. You haven't heard it on MSNBC? Why? Because you don't watch MSNBC, let's be honest, so we don't know what the hell's going on over there. But the rest of the media, well, this won't be in the New York Slimes or the Washington Compost. But the essential, the fundamentals, the essential facts that are in the indictment are already in this report. In chapter 2. Now I'm looking at page 14 of a 253 page report. And I haven't had time to get into the the actual chapter with all the, uh, you know, with all the details. Because I'm on the air. But I would encourage you to go ahead and pull it up. The full Russia investigation report. It's on a PDF. You can get it on the Internet. Uh, Let me see. I'm trying to remember when it came out. I'm looking very quickly. I'm doing my research while I'm on the radio, which means just today I'm doing more research than most people who write books and pretend that they have. All right. It's the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence Report on Russian Active Measures, March 22, 2018. This is what? Three and a half months ago. And we were told to ignore it. Now, there's certain redactions in here as compelled by the Department of Justice and the FBI, among others, and some of our intelligence agencies. But I just want you to be aware of this. Everybody's slobbering all over. Oh, my God, leave Mueller alone. Look, he's done great work. He indicted 12 Russians. Okay, uh, and then what? Ah, just whatever. Stop calling it a witch hunt. I think uh, that was what the great, late Senator Mark Warner said. He, he, he calling it a witch hunt. Okay, Mark, sit down and shut up. But anyway, I'm saying the House Intelligence Committee already found the essential facts here. I mean, that's a big deal. By the way, what happened to the Senate Intelligence Committee? Does it even exist? Where are those people? Have they issued anything? They'll get around to it? What? Well, I think that's a big deal. The House Intelligence Committee came up with most of this stuff already. Right, Rod Rosenstein? No, Rod Rosenstein. It's not Rosenstein. It's Rosenstein. Frankenstein, Frankenstein. It's Rosenstein. Uh, let's take a call. Richard, El Paso, Texas, the great KTSM. Go.
3: Hey, Mark, it's great to talk to you as always, and always enjoy listening to you. Thank you, Richard. We were talking earlier about the uh, uh, tariffs and all. What a lot of people don't realize, um, if they're not business owners or don't know how business runs, is the fact that it's not just marking up the product to the consumer in the end, the amount of the tariff. You have many stages that uh, still will go through, from the person who molds it out to they'll mark it up, And then the next person that makes it into a part, they'll mark it up. And then the next person that puts it into their product, they'll mark it up.
1: That's a great point. In other words, you're saying it's like a value-added tax at every level of production or passage.
3: Exactly. And every company out there that's of of success works off of a margin. If your margin is 5% or 10%, you add that 5% on top of whatever your total cost is. Mm-hmm. And so therefore just like if you look back at oil and gas back when it got up to 4 and 5 dollars a gallon several years ago it the everyone complained about how the oil companies was making all this extra money they weren't making any more margin they were still making their 4% or whatever they were making but mm-hmm. because the cost to them had gone up because the cost of oil had gone up Therefore, they were making more dollars on the end, and to us, it went up multiples again and again getting to us.
1: Mm-hmm. That's an excellent point, Richard. All right, man. We love Richard. Thanks for your call. Let's continue, shall we? Mark, Vancouver, Washington, the great KUFO. Go.
6: Hey, hey Mark. It's good to finally talk to you. I tried calling you many times. Thank you. Um, follow back on what you said just before this caller, I think... That most of the media today should re-register or re-identify as a super PAC and mm-hmm. file something with the Federal Election Commission or wherever they need to register.
1: Interesting. Well, that would affect freedom of the press if they had to register, though. Yeah. Why don't Why don't they just label themselves? Why don't they Why Why can't we get honesty in labeling here? We get, We get it on other products. I mean, let's be honest. These are corporations. These are large corporations that have these little so-called news operations, fine. And if your little so-called news operation really isn't a news operation, they'll spit out news here and there, but it is in fact a um, a, a, a media operation that is advancing an ideological agenda for the most part, uh, then say it. Yeah. The hell's well, the problem? Right, say a it. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're playing to that crowd anyway. Say it. Yeah. All right, Mark. Appreciate it. They do operate in some ways like a super PAC, don't they? Well, yes. Tom, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania on the Mark Levin app. But, Tom, you should be listening to WPHT. Let me tell you something. That is a a great station, and I'm now live on that station, my home station. Go ahead.
9: Absolutely. And uh, fellow Delaware County, of course, you and I only know what that means, right?
1: Yeah, but I grew up in Montgomery County.
9: Oh, that's right, yes. yes. Okay, I'm a Delaware County. Actually, my brother lives in Jenkintown, so probably...
1: Well, I know all about Jenkintown. That's where my parents had their little store. Anyway.
9: anyway yeah. yes. So, uh, here's my question. If tomorrow, and I don't think this is going to happen, the president uh, w- you know, wakes up and says, okay, I don't care about any place other in the world, we the United States are going to end two things. One, tariffs. Two, subsidies, what would happen?
2: I think massive, I you would
1: have massive economic growth in this
9: country. Yes. Well, that's what I thought. And I don't. You no, no. But
1: let me explain everybody why. Don't hang up. OK. OK. All of a sudden, prices for goods and services would go down. Wages would go up directly and indirectly. Indirectly, you'd be paying less for products because we have built in taxes called tariffs. When we put a tariff on a product, we're putting a tax on the American people. And we do. We have tariffs on sugar. We have tariffs on mushrooms. We have tariffs on almonds. We have tariffs on spinach. We have tariffs you name it. We've got 12,000 different tariffs in this country. We have a whole big, thick book that the federal government publishes with all the tariffs or taxes that we place on the consumer products that you purchase. And most of these have nothing to do with protecting this industry or that industry for economic reasons. They are protecting politicians within their districts. They have these activities going on, and then they can go home and tell everybody how they protected them. But if you were to lift, and nobody else did all over the world, all the tariffs and all the subsidies, you would have massive economic growth in this country and foreign money. I'm not saying goods. Foreign money investment would pour into the United States.
9: Exactly. That would... That would be tremendous, and I don't understand why. Not going to happen,
1: because politics is why. Yep. And and look look how much time I have to spend on this every now and then. People don't want to believe it. They don't want to believe it. They believe that it's America first to tax the American people. They believe it's patriotic to protect these industries when the way you protect industries is allow them to compete. It's It's like school systems. It's like antitrust laws. It's like all these other things. Nobody's protecting me. Nobody's protecting you. I mean, we can't have this kind of uh, a vibrant economy when you have that kind of uh, uh, undercurrent taking place. Go ahead.
9: Sure. Uh, well, I know someone that's starting law school at Widener in the fall. Which book of yours should I give her?
1: Why aren't you nice? Well, give her Men in Black, my first book.
9: Well, That was do, my first thought. But I Well, hold on to a second. It. Rich, do we
1: have any copies? We have one left. Don't hang up. We're going to send you a copy, sir. You give it to her, okay?
9: I am thrilled. Thank you, Mark.
1: All right, Tom, take care. We need to get more of those. They're still in print. So call over to Regnery, Mr. Producer, and just tell them we need a, we need a handful of them. All right. Thank you. They probably only have the paperbacks. I don't think you can get a hardback anymore. It's a damn good book. My first book ever, Men in Black, about the judiciary and so forth. We'll be right back.
4: Mark in
1: Let's go. Chris, and by the way, I'm liking the thought processes of a lot of the callers, even those who don't agree with me necessarily, raising very interesting points. Chris, Little Rock, Arkansas, Sirius Satellite, go.
2: Denali, great honor to speak with you tonight. Thank you for by, all by you By the do.
1: way, you have a terrific senator in Tom Cotton. You really do. Isn't he,
2: isn't he fantastic? I wish he, uh, the other one was like him, too, but he's not.
1: He's not, but I, I think Cotton could be president one day. I really do.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Totally agree. Great guy. Great man of character. Just yep. like you.
1: Well, Thank hey, you.
2: Hey, uh, I'm, I'm uh, going gonna, gonna
1: to run for president of Bermuda. <laughs> uh, that way, I can wear Bermuda shorts all the time, and I'll have to dress up anyway. Go ahead.
2: I'm moving all there right. with you then. Yes. Hey, uh, you brought up countries that suffer as a result of these protectionist trade policies. Japan's a perfect point. I mean, their mm-hmm. economy—pardon me for saying this has sucked for 25 years or more.
1: Yeah, exa- And by the way. Mexico, too. Their economy has sucked for 20, 25 years. Their people, 10% of their population lives in the United States. I mean, point to a country that is prosperous and free that relies on tariffs.
2: Not one damn country. No.
1: And don't give me these Democrat socialist countries where... Uh, like the uh, 28-year-old uh, out of uh, New York and the uh, and the old man out of Vermont, Bernie Sanders. Hey, uh, and look at Scandinavia. No, you go to Scandinavia. We're America.
2: <laughs> hey, Mark, one quick thing. I've got a dear friend named Scott in Windsor, Colorado. You have converted him into really? just a uh, – not a conservative, a constitutionalist.
1: That's I mean, terrific.
2: Well, he thank is y- – He's wonderful, and you're wonderful, and thank you for doing that.
1: Well, hold on now. What else do we have there, Mr. Producer? We have, uh, let's send to Chris to give the Scott a copy of Liberty and Tyranny. All right, don't hang up, Chris. I'm in a very giving mood. I got books everywhere. Working on another book. Working on a book. You know what the name of the next book is? Icoca. No, it's not. That's a stupid joke I tell all the time, even though I'm a great admirer of his Craig, Jennings, Kansas, XM Satellite. How are you, sir? Pretty good. Go for it, baby. How
3: about zero percent tariffs? That'd be American, everybody. China, everybody. Zero percent tariffs. Let's even it up. Let's even the plan. I don't think
1: China's going to do that. They're repressive. But we ought to do it. Well. We ought to do it. what, What is it? The whole world is China? The whole world's not China. It's a big world out there. There's seven and a half to eight billion people out there. There's India. There's all kinds of countries out there with a lot of people.
3: It's a worldwide have- market. The American farmer, I think, has to wake up and realize that and understand that that's ultimately what Trump is after. Uh, I think, I, uh, you know, I'm on board with you 99.9% of the time, but these tariffs, I think there's a necessity. I really honestly do.
1: Well, not if it puts you out of work then it's not a necessity. I don't believe whether Trump does it or Bernie Sanders does it or Herbert Hoover does it or FDR does it. I don't believe it. I believe in the people. I'm the one who believes in the people. We'll be right back.
2: Mark Levin, radio's principled patriot. Call in now at 877-381-3811. You know, it's been a while since I've
1: spoken about Imprimus, the nation's largest publication of conservative thought. Published by Hillsdale College, Imprimus is always outstanding and always free. But I really want you to read this month's edition. It features Vice President Mike Pence's message to Hillsdale's graduating class. It's a message that will teach you, challenge you, and inspire you. You have to read it. 3.8 3.8 million Americans receive for every for free every month. And those folks share their issues on average with two other people. You know what that means? 11 million Americans will read this important message by our terrific Vice President. You should be one of them. His words will help ground you in the teachings and traditions that are our greatest inheritance as Americans. The same teachings and traditions that are the surest foundation of a boundless American future. Every month, and Primus equips you to defend and promote the principles of liberty, of civil and religious freedom, and our American heritage. And let me tell you something. Hillsdale College really is a shining college on the hill, and it's due to the leadership, the vision of the president of Hillsdale College, Larry Arnn. He is second to none. He also happens to be a dear friend. Visit LevinforHillsdale.com, that's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com, to get your free subscription Starting with this inspiring speech by Vice President Mike Pence. That's Levin for Levin for By the way, during the break, I was thinking because there was a piece up on the TV about uh, voting on whether or not to abolish ICE. And the three Democrat sponsors now are concerned because Paul Ryan, the speaker, has decided, okay, let's vote on it. Let's get everybody on record. And now they say, well, I don't know if I'm going to vote for it. I don't know. Here's my take. Then vote on abolishing the IRS right afterwards. What do you think about that, Mr. Speaker? Can you support that? Then I got to thinking further. The Democrat Party abolish ICE, the second biggest law enforcement arm of the federal government that is intended to protect you and me and our communities. They eviscerate the United States military when they control the executive branch and undermine it. They've been undermining local law enforcement you realize the Democrat Party's done far more damage to this country than the Russians? And I despise Vladimir Putin. I despise that government. I always have. I'm not one of these code pink Republicans. But the Democrat Party is doing more damage to this country, just as Mr. Comey, Mr. Stroke, Ms. Page, McCabe, the rest of those clowns, Mr. uh, What's the Jerk on TV, Uh, Brennan, Clapper. And every time I hear Clapper, you know, I do the... Expecting the lamp to turn off or turn on. But anyway, uh, those people, their interference in our election, none of them, nobody's getting indicted around here. Only the Russians, although we're going to indict them way over there. And then I just want to reiterate what I said earlier in the show. Mr. Rosenstein, Mr. Deputy Attorney General, Mr. Mueller, if that is your name, I have a question for you. If you believe meddling in elections is a crime. And it is. If you believe meddling in elections to affect the outcome of election is a notorious act that there needs to be punishment for it, then I will ask you yet again, why have you not charged Barack Obama for meddling in the Israeli election? For committing acts of espionage against uh, members of Congress, Jewish organizations, The ambassador from Israel to the United States. Clandestine activities against the Prime Minister of Israel. I'm being quite serious. They set up this phony uh, NGO, non-government organization. They washed and laundered money from the State Department through it for the purpose of influencing the outcome of the election in Israel. So why hasn't anybody been indicted for that? Why hasn't Barack Obama been indicted for that? Instead, you're indicting Russians. Fine, indict a thousand, indict all the Russians you want. And by the way, another question—that's going to be raised by Scott from Ranch, Rancho Mirage, California, on the Mark Levin app. Scott, what was your what was your point? It's relevant here.
7: Two points, Mark. First, um, why doesn't Trump take the high road and tell Mueller and Rosenstein to file a complaint against Russia and Putin? in the International Court of Justice.
1: Well, Trump doesn't tell people who to indict, but I'd like the rest of your point is, we know that Putin was behind this. His generals, his intelligence officers, the hackers, they have a whole building filled with these people who have, uh, as, their, uh, as their mission, to uh, commit acts of cyber warfare. I think the legitimate part of your question is, why didn't they indict Vladimir Putin?
7: Yes, that was a question. That was a question I asked.
1: Yes. What's your next point, sir?
7: If Putin was behind it, why not indicting?
1: You're in Marancho Mirage? I am. You must be surrounded by all kinds of libs. Anyway, what's your next point?
7: Um, I know that you have pointed out repeatedly that um, the Office of Legal Counsel has rendered a couple of opinions that indicate that an employee or an official. Now, they
1: indicate that the position of the United States Department of Justice is that you cannot indict a sitting president. Go ahead.
7: Well, the Office of Legal Counsel also gave an opinion that Trump's travel ban was legal. And Sally Yates, as I understand it, was the first acting attorney general or attorney general who refused to comply or? She was the acting
1: case. attorney general. She had been a holdover from Obama. She had been the deputy attorney general because the Democrats held up the Sessions confirmation. And you're saying yes, yeah, she blew it off. Yes, she did, and she was and, fired.
7: And I, I watched Rosenstein when he was asked in before Congress about those opinions, and he smirked. And I'm wondering if. Are he you getting, sure
1: he smirked? Because I think that's a permanent facial condition.
7: Okay. Well. I question whether they have an intent not to comply with
1: Well, they're going to have a tough time doing that because uh, the president's lawyers aren't stupid. If, if the issue is uh, teed up, they'll go right into federal court and argue, among other things. This is the official Department of the Department of Justice position. They can't just change it because we have a new president or change it after the fact. Uh, so I think the, the president's lawyers would have a terrific argument.
7: All right, well, Mark, those are my two comments, and thanks for talking to me.
1: Scott, thank you, buddy. Take care.
7: Jimmy, Brooklyn, New York, the great WABC, go! The communist agitators
5: and organizers closed down U.S. mines, railroads, and factories between 1919 and 1921, and then the agitators sent a letter to Lenin in Russia requesting he send professional revolutionaries. Lenin did. Now, I got this all from the communist press. Lenin did, and when these foreign communist agents were rounded up and sent back to Russia, Lenin welcomed them home. And by the way, it was a young J. Edgar Hoover involved in a lot of these roundups. And now I'm hearing conservatives denounce J. Edgar Hoover saying that Comey did as much damage to the FBI as J. Edgar Hoover. The Soviets have been active in this country forever. The so-called peace movement, the anti-nuke movement. Let's let's
1: slow down. So one of the things you're saying, Jimmy is that the Russians, the left, they've had a a many decades-long campaign to try and destroy J. Edgar Hoover's reputation. Is that what you're saying?
5: Right. And J. Edgar Hoover has been vindicated. Now, everybody could make mistakes, but anybody does research, even on uh, Joe McCarthy, some of the latest stuff that came out of the Soviet Union or some of the... uh, the Venona intercepts that were deciphered, uh, right. it was actually worse than uh, Joe McCarthy was claiming. Every part mm-hmm. of our government had enemy agents in it. They were promoting each other. They were given references to support each other throughout the government. And this was going on for decades. And
1: Jimmy, and Jimmy, we've learned, and our, our dear friend Professor Kengor has written about this multiple occasions, we learned that the line of the Senate, Chappaquiddick Ted Kennedy, the Cape Cod Orca, Ted Kennedy... Literally, directly tried to influence the re-election effort of Ronald Reagan by working with the Soviets in the Kremlin.
5: The tour of the country with Gorbachev to denounce the Reagan defense buildup. Mm-hmm. The meddling is there, and the ones who've been colluding for—By the way, did the Democrats do they even want to hear about that? No, they don't. They've been colluding with the Soviets for for decades, not for half a Democrat. century at least. It, it, exactly, exactly. And Frank Marshall Davis, Obama's mentor, yes. was a very important communist agent. In fact, he was so important that he was on a special list to be arrested immediately if we ever had... He does that, but it
1: doesn't matter. He's not Stormy Daniels. You understand?
5: <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. All so right. if you want anybody who who is uh, colluding with the Soviets, you'd look at a guy like Obama. I mean, he was friends with a communist terrorist. How many people do you know that could be friends with a communist terrorist... And nobody makes an issue of it.
1: No, in fact, when you you bring up Bill Ayers and so forth, they told you to be quiet.
5: Exactly. President Roosevelt was surrounded by people with Soviet connections.
1: Well, we know about Alger Hiss, don't we?
5: Alger Hiss, Hopkins, then it was the... You're
1: not not allowed to bring up Alger Hiss. Why is that?
5: Well, liberals defend communists for some reason. I mean, you could theoretically be a liberal and not a communist, but somehow they defend them. I guess people on the left stick together or something.
1: All right, Jimmy. I appreciate your call very much. You take care of yourself. There's been another major security breach, and this one by the marketing firm Exactus, maybe the largest to date. The personal information of 230 million people was leaked. Identity theft has gotten so bad that for every two of you listening to me right now, the personal information for one of you has likely been exposed, and you probably don't even know it. You can't mess around with this stuff. You need a different kind of identity protection and I got it for you. It's the top level. I'm very proud to partner with My ID Care, a company that has been taking care of Fortune 500 companies for years. Now My ID Care will work with you personally. They cover you for the nine types of identity theft and provide best in class service for less than 10 bucks a month. My ID Care can even help if you're already a victim. Now I switched to my ID Care and I signed up my parents too. We don't want to worry about identity theft anymore, and neither should you. My listeners also get 15% off at myidcare.com/mark. Learn more, and then let my ID Care take care of you. That's myidcare.com/mark. Enter promo code MARK. Lots of marks. That's myidcare.com/mark. Promo code MARK. Myidcare.com. Slash mark, promo code mark. We'll be right back.
4: Mark in.
1: Hank Parker Heights, Texas. The great WBAP. Go.
6: Yeah, thanks. Take my call, Mark. You got it. From the standpoint of uh, uh, tariffs, you know, it, it's a two-sided coin. From the standpoint that, uh, take, for instance, Nucor, a steel producer in the United States. Well, they may charge a premium somewhat for their steel, but it's American steel. And so is that not I
1: I, I know, but if I'm building a building and i got to sell the building... Or I'm building a building and I'm putting apartments in it and so forth. That doesn't matter to me. I'm trying to get the right price so I can charge other people the right amount of money. What? Right. Uh, so I mean, I mean, I mean, when the uh, the very few Americans that go around and say I want to pay more for something, I haven't met one yet. I've not met one yet. When people want, if they're buying a condominium, they want it cheap. They're taking out rent on an apartment. They want it cheap or as cheap as they can get it. They're buying an automobile. They don't say, yeah, throw on 2700 bucks because it's domestic steel. I don't know anybody that does that. We got uh, washing machines in this country. They've gone up the highest amount they ever have in a three-month period. They've gone up 9% because of the amount of steel that's in there. Uh, steel has gone up uh, 40%. Now the Secretary of Commerce, Domestic Steel, has said he's going to investigate the profiteers, see what's going on. What's going on is a rational response. You're limiting the amount of steel that can come into this country, and so domestic steel makers are increasing their price because the demand for domestic steel has gone up. And the it's only people who benefit? been... No, it's not good, because the people who have to buy that steel... The people who work on automobiles, automobile parts, the people who are on the assembly lines, who work on all kinds of uh, uh, products for our kitchens and so forth and so on, their jobs are on the line.
6: Well, when China was dumping steel on us...
1: China gave us 5% of the steel that we get in this country. 5%. So China is a boogeyman on that. I despise that government. They're not a boogeyman on a lot of stuff. It's Canada that was the biggest exporter of of steel into this country. And yet, domestic steel was still 70% of the market. 70% of the market. All right, Hank, thanks for your call, my friend. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we've had a wonderful discussion here tonight. I want to thank you very much. Shabbat Shalom to all my Jewish friends and to my Gentile friends, too. This is called Killing Tensei. Officially over the weekend begins right now. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. Good night, Spritey. Good night, Griffy. Good night, Pepsi. Good night, Smokey. And good night, Zelda. I will see you Sunday, 10 p.m. Eastern, Life, Liberty, and Levin on the Fox News Channel. Get Al Qaeda. Get Hezbollah. Get Hamas. Get ISIS. Get all those subhuman cockroaches. God bless you, and I'll see you on
4: Monday.